Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of the Training with Tucker podcast. My name is Tucker Gross. I am an endurance athlete and coach, and I started this podcast to put out short weekly episodes on a variety of different training topics to help athletes out there improve and have a deeper understanding of how to train. Today's episode is a crossover between my podcast and the Knighton Runs podcast hosted by my friend Chris Knighton. Chris and I became friends through the Boston running community and the Heartbreakers Running Club and both launched our coaching businesses at around the same time. So we have supported each other and had many great conversations along the way to help each other out with growing our businesses and improving how we coach our athletes. And today we decided to do a joint episode to answer some questions that were sent in by our athletes and by people on social media. So we took the opportunity to have a conversation and answer these questions. The episode today is a bit longer than my usual episodes, but I think it's a good one and one that you will enjoy and get a lot out of. So let's get right into it. Here is my Q&A episode with Chris Knight. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hey, I'm good, Tucker. How are you? I'm doing great, Chris. It is still winter here in Colorado. We are getting another storm tonight with three to five inches expected. So that's putting a little bit of a wrench in my training plans, but can't complain. Doing well. How's everything going with you? It is good. I have some really exciting news to announce, which I I think I can formally announce to the folks listening to this show. But when I moved to Providence, it was a big decision in moving here is it was going to give me a lot more free time and flexibility to pursue my my passion of being an online running coach. And I just put in my two weeks notice to leave my corporate job and start to do this full time. So I am super, super excited to talk with Tucker today, do some coaching, chat, catch up with how he's doing and answer some running questions. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm you know, I was gonna, I was gonna just push through and keep working my corporate job through the summer, but then I said, nah, screw it, no reason to. I want to enjoy the summer, and what better way to start than by diving into this full time? Awesome. Well, uh, breaking news on the Night and Runs and Training with Tucker podcast here. You heard it here first, Chris Knighton, full time running coach. You heard it here. I'm finally joining the ranks of you, Tucker. Yes. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. I know that's something you've been thinking about for a while and so great that your coaching business has grown to the point where you can make that dream a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Just the beginning. For sure. Well, I'm excited to, as you mentioned, chat with you and answer some questions that we received from our social media, from our athletes, and just have a little bit of a a coaching chat and and talk running and, and all that. So. Let's get right into it. The first question is a perfect warm-up for this conversation. We got it from Ben. To warm up or not to warm up? That is a question. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I get this one a lot. And I think it's really an important question to, to ask. And as coaches, we shouldn't necessarily take this one for granted. Everyone's coming to the sport from a different place. And some people played sports in school. Some people are new to sports. and First off, the, the concept of doing any kind of a warm up and especially like a formal warm up you might do before track workout could be really foreign to a lot of folks. So we could go that we could go a lot of ways with this question. Yeah, for sure. I I actually wrote in an article about 
the importance of the warm up. And I, I do it for, for every speed workout that I do and every, every athlete that I coach, I tell them to do some sort of a warm up for any speed workout, but not necessarily for an everyday run. But what about you, Tucker? Yeah, I agree with you that everybody is different and people come into the sport of running from different places. And as you mentioned, in a team sport background, you more likely are exposed to a more structured warm up. But for people who just get into running for fitness and health, uh, they might not incorporate a warm up too often and, and telling them that they need to warm up before every run might not be something that is very you know comfortable for them to just switch to doing. So I think that it is important to do, as you mentioned, especially before quality workouts, making sure that you're properly warmed up is important. Something that I have only started doing more of in the last year is doing leg swings before pretty much every run. I know a lot of a lot of runners and, and athletes who run just go out the door and head out for their run and they don't do any sort of warm up. And so I would say doing some leg swings is a, a good place to start doesn't take too long and it helps to just get the get the body ready for the demands of of running and helps to improve your range of motion as well so i think that's a a good place to start and then yeah doing maybe a longer warm-up where you're doing drills and um you know more dynamic stretches before your workouts i think is, is really important yeah what, what do you think the point of all all of it is tucker why, why go through the effort you know you jog for 15 or 20 minutes and then before you even start your workout, why go through all these funny motions for, for five or 10 minutes? What's the point? Why not just get right into it? Health, I think, is the first and foremost thing you got to go to, right, is you're adequately preparing your body for the demands of what you're about to do. So if you, you know, and certainly there are people that don't warm up and never have injuries, but I think if you if you are going to stay healthy in the long term, which is really important, right? We talk about consistency and, and being able to run for many, many years. You do need to prepare your body for what it's about to go through, whether it is a 30 minute easy run or a you know tempo run or track intervals. It's important that you are preparing the body. And so that, that would be my, my answer is if you want to stay healthy, you have to do the necessary work to make sure that you your body can handle the, the demands of, of your training session. I like that a lot. I, I think for runners who participate in racing as well, there's a really big mental component to the warm up as well, which is why I recommend people practice it pretty much for every every faster workout they do, is because if you're standing around before a race, there's there's potentially a lot of time to kill and you can get distracted. You cannot be adequately prepared for the start of the race. You might not be dressed up properly with the clothes you're going to wear. You might not have your shoes on. You might be distracted by your friends. A lot going on. And by developing a warm-up routine that you can start maybe 30 minutes to an hour before the gun goes off at the start of your race that you practice in training, I feel like if you're then able to replicate that on race day, you're going to have a much better chance for a successful race because you're going to do all the things necessary that you need to do mentally and physically on race day in the lead up to that race. So you're not like scrambling, running to the start line, <laughs> forgetting something and uh, barely missing, missing the, uh, the gun or something like that. Absolutely. And I think you're giving a really good suggestion is like, don't go from 
not warming up ever to saying I need to warm up every single time I go out for a run because odds are you're not going to be able to make that kind of a transition. And there are days I still just go out the door and I run. I have 45 minutes and I just go out and run. I think where a lot of people skip the warm up is on their easy days because they see, well, the the demands of going out for, for a workout or for a race are higher. So I need to make sure that I'm warming up and you have that routine ingrained in you of, all right, it's a workout, it's a race. And you need to make sure I'm doing my, my warm up, doing my, my strides, my drills, my stretches on the easy days. It's still important to do that, right? Even if you're not exerting yourself as, as hard, uh, it's still important to, to do that, a shorter warm up, do something, you know, not only to, to get the muscles warmed up and ready to go, but elevate your heart rate a little bit so that when you do go out, you are, you know, your body is warmed up. You've got the blood flowing, the heart pumping, all of that. So the next question we got is somewhat similar. What is your favorite strength and mobility exercise? Strength and mobility. I would say for me, when I think about these sorts of things, consistency is the the most important piece. So uh, I like to incorporate things for both myself and for my athletes that are doable, no matter where you are, uh, no matter what time of the day it is, you don't need to have access to a gym or to weights or to any equipment. So for strength, doing simple things like um, reverse lunges, body weight squats, uh, I think are, are really important and helpful and you can literally do them anywhere. So those would kind of be my, my go-tos for mobility. I would say doing some static stretching afterwards after a run can be can be good, but probably the thing that I incorporate the most in my own training uh, is just simply doing some drills and some dynamic movements before workouts and before some or after some of my runs. What would you say, Chris? I like this question. I'm not a I'm not a big strength or mobility guy. Um, I'm maybe different with Tuck than Tucker that you know I, I sort of feel like. Sometimes this is a bit more of a distraction than it's worth for runners. So to put a slightly contrarian opinion here, my favorite strength exercise is the push-up. <laughs> um, full body exercise, but it's good to balance out some of the running you're doing with a little upper body strength. Having a stronger core will help keep you, keep you running strong in the later stages of the race, certainly, um, which is good. Um, going to mobility, you know, if you look at like a, a typical track type of warm up, you might see movements uh, like high knees, butt kicks, a skips, b skips, things like that. I like to do those as part of my warm up. I have some basic routines that I recommend for people to do core body work and, and uh, body weight exercises, but I'm not I'm not big on it. I think a little goes a long way with this stuff, and uh, you know I think the best thing you can do is just stay active, get out there and do stuff and enjoy it, and take care of yourself. For sure. And obviously there, there's a benefit to doing strength work, but doing what you enjoy is, is equally, if not more important. So if you don't enjoy doing strength work, it's not necessarily something that you need to do. And I, I think we can both agree, Chris, that like simplicity is key. You know, the, you don't need to go into the weight room and do a bunch of Olympic lifts three times a week to BQ. Are there people out there that have success with, with a more structured strength approach? Absolutely. But there are certainly plenty of other examples of people who really just focus on the running aspect and less on the strength and mobility side and have success. Yeah, 
many different paths to the same goal. Should we go into the next question? Yes, sir. All right, I'll read it off. This one comes in from Ben from Instagram. Ben asked us, when do I mix up my runs? Should I do a tempo, a fart wick, a long run, etc.? How do you decide which to do, how to design it? I, I think this question is kind of getting into the heart of why do you do the runs that you do and how do you know you're doing the best run for you at the time? You want to take this one, Tucker? Sure, I'll take a stab at this one first. Um, I think you're going to have a great response. I like your your approach to how you structure your quality days. Uh, I think you and I certainly have a lot of resources and influences that we use in, in how we structure our athletes' programs. But generally, I would say you want to have one to two days a week where you have a little bit of higher intensity built into it. So the majority of your your training sessions are at an easier effort. Typically, if you're doing five runs a week, let's say, well, then three or four of them should be nice, easy runs. And one or two of them are more of a quality workout. And the long run would be included into that. Typically for, um, you know, for, for time reasons, the long run has been for most people on the weekend, but it certainly doesn't need to be. It doesn't, there's no method to having one long run per week. That just seems to be how it works out for, for most people's schedule. But I would say if you're a, a more highly trained athlete, you can get away with doing two to three quality runs a week where you have maybe uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, but taking off one day in between, ideally either off or easy so that you're getting the, the necessary recovery before your, your next higher intensity day. So that's generally how most training plans are built. Uh, I do have some athletes that will have kind of a back-to-back -back, uh, workout approach, either with back-to-back -back long runs for more ultra-distance athletes, or um, for some of the younger athletes that I coach, they will do some back-to-back -back workouts, particularly to try and make sure that they, we keep them honest um, by doing the back-to-back -back so that they... They don't go too hard on maybe a tempo day. Maybe we do some intervals one day and then followed by uh, a tempo run the next day because they're going to be feeling that that fatigue from the previous session. So there are different ways to, to mix it up. But I think generally the every other day, making sure you have an off day or an easy day in between is, is a good approach. Yeah, I, I think, Tucker, you kind of touched on it. And it really is specific to each unique runner. Uh, you know, I, I think that the three runs that that Ben asked about here, tempo, fartwick, long run. Those are really the, the three main types of workouts that, that we program for people. You know, fartwick, the only thing you could add in there maybe is, is interval workout, which is similar to a fartwick. Um, one thing that's important to do is, and, and I've actually, my coaching has changed a bit over the years with this, is I'm paying more attention now to specificity and training in regards to like, what type of event are you specifically training for? So, for example, I have a lot of runners right now who are training for the half marathon. They want to get faster at the half marathon so that they can then transition into running a faster full marathon later this year. In order to prepare them for that half marathon, I'm having them do a ton of running very close to their half marathon pace. You know, because to make it super simple, <laughs> to run a good half marathon, you have to run 13 miles in a row at half marathon pace. So sure, you could do stuff faster than that that's shorter, but 
is there really any better workout than just going and doing three or four miles at half marathon pace? That might seem like an oversimplification, but think about the race you're trying to run. If you're you're doing an ultra, you may want to do those back-to-back long runs that, that are unique to that program. If you're training for the marathon, going and doing a lot of runs at marathon pace. If you're training for the 5K, doing more uh, fartlek and interval type work out at 5K pace and thereabout. It's important that your training evolves over time, so you're not doing the same type of thing over and over and over again. Uh, and, and this is a lot of times where finding a good training plan to follow or potentially working with a coach is really helpful because they'll be able to take care of the what we call the periodization of your training, where what you're focusing on uh, physiologically changes over time so that the goal of race you're working towards, you're going to be at peak fitness when you get to that race and, and well prepared for it. This is obviously a deep conversation, but I think we, we said enough on it for now, Tucker. Yeah, for sure. We could have an entire episode and uh, go into the weeds, reveal all of our secrets on how we come up with training programs. But I think that's a good place to leave it, um, You know, making sure that you are taking time off between quality sessions and doing some work to to train the specific energy systems and the specific uh, you know, musculoskeletal demands of what you will be needing on race days is important next question we got here was from rocco who asks what is your worst i gotta poop mid-run story it's a great question uh chris i'll let you lead this one off yeah uh anyone who's run long enough eventually is gonna have one of these i am luckily i don't have to go run first thing in the morning if i did i would probably have more of these stories <laughs> but i usually wait a few hours after i wake up just to make sure i'm all i'm all good to go but yeah i've had, I've had a couple of runs along the charles river in boston where i had to find a find a, a boathouse to hide behind and uh <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna leave it at that as you said i think anybody that trains for endurance events spends uh enough time out there to face some of these situations and again something that we could could spend an entire podcast on would be talking about the the nutrition side of things and how if you if you don't have your nutrition dialed in or even if you do you can face situations where you have gi problems or you you have to go mid-run so yeah I'll, i'll give a quick story as well i'll i think um you know, you always remember your first time, right? So I'll say my first uh, mid-run poop story was uh, in rural Connecticut and happened to be in a fairly residential area on a main road and uh, luckily found a a fence to just duck behind and, uh, you know, <laughs> relieved myself there. But yeah, it's, it's not a fun experience, but, you know, sometimes you got to go. So it's okay. It happens. And Sometimes you get lucky and you're close to home or you're you're able to duck into a public bathroom, but sometimes you just got to hop into the woods or behind a boathouse or behind a fence and let it happen. Tucker, I got a great tip here. The best tip I ever learned about how to handle running first thing in the morning if you're a morning pooper like me. If you want to get up and go for your run, but struggle, your first mile, treat it like a warm-up. Go run five minutes away from home, five minutes back, take care of your, your business, and then head right back out. I've I've I haven't heard of that one. I you know, I've heard of people that use the coffee as kind of a, 
a way of getting things moving, uh, clearing out the system in the morning before you head out for a run. But that's a good idea. Go out for a little bit of a, a warm up, uh, help to get the body warmed up, but also get the you know digestive system awake and moving. And then you can finish off your run feeling good and uh, ready to go. Well, glad we touched on that one. Uh, next question. Yeah, somewhat related. Nutrition. How do you fuel for longer distances? On-course nutrition. How do you handle it? So nutrition, it depends again on the race. I think anything over 90 minutes. So for some people, you don't you could get away with not fueling for a half marathon and maybe just taking in some sips of water at aid stations, but really not taking in any any, any gels or anything like that. For anything over 90 minutes, so again, half marathons for those that are running 90 minutes or slower. Um, marathons, definitely ultra marathons, definitely triathlons and, and the like need to make sure that you're, you're adequately fueling your body for what you're, you're putting your body through. Um, you're, it, ta- it requires energy, significant amount of energy to exercise for that duration. And if you're not adequately replenishing your energy stores, you're going to eventually run out of energy and that will force you to slow down and possibly stop. So if you want to be successful as the distances get longer, you have to work on your fueling. And I think the the best advice, although it's it's a little bit of a, you know, an out is to just say everybody's different and you have to experiment. You have to figure out in training what works for you and what doesn't. And so my advice to my athletes is always experiment as much as possible with different fueling strategies, different types of fuel. Um, You know, gels work great. They're convenient, but for some people they don't work, right? They give them stomach issues or the, the texture or the taste just doesn't work for them. So they have to use more of real food approach, um, taking in some energy bars or, or things like that. So I would say experiment. And then also, once you figure out something that works well for you, getting experience fueling at race intensity is really important. Because if you go out for an easy two hour long run, and you figure out that all right, well, gel works great for you. But then you go into a race where you're at a higher intensity, you've completely changed the situation. So that gel might not work for you in that in that setting. So get experience, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, talking about race pace, work and training. I think it's also important to do your fueling at race pace and, and figure out what works there. What would you say? Yeah, I agree with most of what you said there, Tucker. To, to add a couple other points, I, I think that are interesting to think about. So when we run, we're, you know, you can essentially think of us like a car. You need, you need gasoline, you need fuel to keep going. For us humans, that gasoline is, is water and glycogen. Um, there's two different fuels that we run off of as athletes. There's fat, and then there's uh, sugar, carbohydrates, um, glycogen, right? And at slower speeds, we primarily fuel off of fat. And our fat stores are pretty much unlimited. You could run at a slow pace, a very slow pace, if you're well-trained, I mean, for, for a long, 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 long. Uh, you can do a whole ultra marathon without fueling. You probably won't perform your best though, because beyond a certain intensity, kind of like marathon pace for most most runners, you start to switch over from primarily burning uh, fat, which you have unlimited energy, to primarily bur- burning glycogen, which you have limited, and you run out. So that's like the fuel that you need to be resupplying when you're racing. And like Tucker said, generally a race over 90 minutes, a runner is going to deplete their fuel store of glycogen, and that's when we hit the wall or bonk and run out of fuel and can't run anymore. So when you refuel on gels and other sugary things, 
that refueling you on your faster paces. One thing to think about, and like Tucker was saying, it's really important to personalize it to yourself, is the fuel efficiency of of everybody is going to be different. Um, Someone running a two-hour and 20-minute marathon is going to burn through energy a lot faster than someone running a four-hour marathon uh, because they're covering the same distance way faster. It's like if you slam the gas on a car, your fuel efficiency goes to total. <laughs> so you may still need to take the same amount of gel to cover that distance in a much shorter time just because you're burning through energy so much faster. So you really need to experiment in training to figure out what's going to work for you and how frequently you need to take it. Um, but you definitely have to take it if you're going to be racing. And um, like Tucker said, you need to practice it at faster paces. The next question here is from Kyle. We've got two more questions and mo- both are more on like the, the coaching business side. So I want to ask you this one, Chris. How is your current coaching business different or in line from where you expected or hoped to be when you launched your business? So I I started coaching in the summer of 2019, and I started off coaching a few athletes for free, people who were my friends, to gain experience doing it. And I basically followed a model of coaching that I borrowed and adapted from the person who originally coached me. I think most of what I originally did was kind of a copy of what they did for me, and I liked, and I tweaked it. I, at that point, too, like my, my coaching knowledge was pretty fundamental, right? Like I had read a couple of books. I had some experience as a runner, um, but still certainly in a very basic stage. Now that I've been doing it for over two years at this point, I've finally gotten to the point now where I feel like I, I feel like it's it's fully developed, but it's also kind of just starting. Like I've I've got I've developed it in terms of like a business where I'm at the point where I can I can grow it. It's it's not a baby anymore. It's not an infant. It's like a it's like a child now, and it's fully developed and it works and it can go to school. And now I need to just like keep giving it love and its intention and growing it. And that's a terrible analogy, but I'm really excited. I just, like I said at the beginning of this, I just quit my my corporate job to start coaching full time, and I'm so I'm so happy to be able to help other athletes share what I love with them. And you know, my job now is literally just helping other people achieve their goals and become a better runner. And I love that. What about you, Tucker? Yeah, you and I both, you know, we we start at similar times, and we. We know each other from the Boston running community, and we had conversations early on in, in both of our our fledgling years of our business about coaching and about business and and you know marketing and and all of these things that we were learning as we went. And so it's been really interesting to see our businesses grow and evolve over the past two years. And you have been growing your business as a side hustle alongside your you know, your main job. And I was thrown into a situation where lost my job during COVID and was like, well, if there was a time to go all in, this was it. And so we we were both at similar spots when COVID hit. And, um, you know, we obviously we didn't know what to expect from going into a pandemic where races were getting canceled left and right. And we weren't sure what was going to happen. So it's been interesting to see our businesses grow. I think if if we had asked each other where we wanted to be on April 19th, 2021, I don't know if we would have fully expected that we would both be coaching full-time, coaching a roster of 20-plus athletes each and seeing the growth that we've seen. So I think 
we have probably exceeded our expectations. I know for me personally, I have exceeded my expectations of where I thought that I would be at this point. Um, but I also now realize, and I think your analogy was great, Chris, actually. Um, I fully realize that like I've, I've grown this business to a place where it's, it's sustainable, but there's a lot of room to grow still. There's a lot of things that I've improved on, but there's a lot that I can still do better. And so, yeah, there's a lot of room for growth and I'm, I'm excited by, by all of that. Yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, I I don't know. Think Kyle's asking here things that are different than what you expected or hoped it would be. I, I think it very much is what I expected and, and hoped it would be. What I really like about it is it's really not about running, and that that may sound strange, but the skills that I'm learning, I mean, it's obviously about running. I coach runners, but the skills that I'm learning and uh, having to develop this web design, it's marketing, it's branding, it's graphic design, it's sales skills, it's relationship skills, it's networking, it's podcasting, it's being a life coach, being a therapist for people, being a personal trainer, learning how to take care of my business finances, everything. Um, I've really been enjoying that as the entrepreneur, I need to do everything and I need to learn everything. And it's kind of just been figure it out as I go. Um, I haven't been super overwhelmed by it because it is just at my own pace, but I love it. Like every single week I learn how to do something new and learn a new skill and meet new people. And I was not doing that at all in my, my day job. Um, and what I'm really excited about coaching and why I really wanted to make it a full-time thing is I think that all of our hard work is just going to kind of grow and pay off exponentially. Like, the more we increase our network and the more conversations we have with people, we're just going to be exposed to so many more great opportunities and that's going to help us help more people, which is what I love about doing this. So yeah, that's what I expected, but I'm happy, really happy with it. Yeah, I would agree. The one thing I will say is that one thing that I have discovered over the past two years is that the saying, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is is not accurate, right? It's still work. It still takes a lot of effort and time to to do this. And I love what I do. Sounds like you do as well, Chris, which is great. And I consider myself to be incredibly lucky to do this for a living. But it's still work, right? It still takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. There are days when I don't want to do something, right? There's still days when when things are are hard and they're difficult. And so that's something that maybe I didn't expect, right? Maybe my expectation was like, oh, if I can grow this to be a full-time thing and, and be a full-time running coach, I'm going to love every second of it. I don't. And that's okay, right? It's still work. But the vast majority of the time, I love what I do. I love helping people. And I consider myself very lucky. Yeah, I hear you, Tucker. A ask me how I feel in a couple of months. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I'll have some. There's growing pains for sure, and there's you know there's aspects of everything that are tedious. I mean, I love coaching, but like the the, the act of um, going in and like updating people's training plans can be very tedious. It can be like like it's in my brain, but like the actual process of putting it into the system can be pretty tedious at times. And there's definitely times where I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. Can I just like tell the person what to do? <laughs> I just call them and tell them how to run. But yeah, for the most part, I'm loving it so far. I'll definitely check in with you in a few months when the honeymoon phase of being a full-time running coach has, has worn off and you've, uh, you've gotten to the point where you, well, I'm sure you'll still continue to enjoy it, but maybe that honeymoon phase will, will come to an end. Stay tuned for podcast number two. <laughs> yeah.
Something that I wanted to hit on to end our conversation is to continue a conversation that we had probably a year and a half ago when we were very early on in starting our coaching businesses. And it was around how long is the typical lifespan of a coach-athlete relationship. And I think in our conversation, we were saying like, well, I would expect three to six months. Most athletes will, will stay with us for three to six months. And I'm just wondering, how has that evolved for you? Has your opinion changed in the past year and a half around the, you know, how long an athlete typically stays with you as a coach? And in general, how long that athlete coach relationship can and should last? Yeah, this is a great question. I, I think this is my, my thoughts on this have developed a lot as I've matured as a coach. So at, at first, when I first started coaching people, I had this mindset that I was training people for a specific race. And I don't think that anymore. Um, I train people for racing, but I'm not training someone for a race and then it's over. That's not the type of relationship I want to have with my athletes. I am really looking to develop like a strong, tight relationship, coach to athlete one-on-one that's for ongoing development. And anyone who's been a runner knows that you can progress over your running career for years and years and years. And see, as long as you're doing the right thing, you're going to see consistent improvement. And there's going to be high points and low points and injuries and plateaus along the way. But if you're doing the right thing and you have the right team, the right coach, you will keep getting better. If you're not, maybe you need to change something up. But my approach with it now, I don't think, I, I work with athletes who want ongoing development. And I weave it, and I, it's that simple. When, and when I talk with athletes who are interested in working with me, that's what I tell them. I don't say, you know, I say, what races are you doing? But we're not just talking about those races. We're talking about where do you want to be in a year from now, in two years from now? Like, what, what do you want to look back on when you think of your years in running? Um, because running takes time. Running is about delayed gratification in many, many ways. Like, the workouts I do today are going to make me the runner I am a year from now. And you can't get, you can't just expect in like three to six months that you're going to, you know, go from my couch to marathon and you're done. It's, that's not how it works. So yeah, I think the lifespan of coach and athlete, it, as long as the athlete is getting what they want out of it, it could be forever. If they're not seeing, if they're not growing and they're not enjoying it, then maybe we need to change something. Maybe the relationship shouldn't continue or maybe something needs to change. So that's how I think about it now. There's, there's no time frame. Just you're liking it. Good. What, what about you, Tucker? Very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. I agree that I have changed in my thoughts as well from being more of the goal-oriented, let's get you that BQ in four months, let's get you to that PR in six months, to it is an ongoing relationship that is beneficial as long as you see it to be beneficial. And I have had athletes that have left and gone on to be self-coached or to be coached by other coaches. And when I, I think early on, I took that personally. And now I realize that I can only offer so much. I offer my knowledge, my experience, and my own philosophies. And that doesn't necessarily work for everybody. And it doesn't work for people for forever. But I have been very surprised with the number of athletes that I have coached for eight months to a year and beyond. I really thought that it was going to be more of the, the three to six month range. And I have coached people much longer. And I, I now realize that many of the athletes that I currently coach I will be coaching for the foreseeable future and beyond. I don't see 
a, an end in sight. I don't see them getting to a race and saying, oh, well, you got me to the race. So now now we're done. Like it is a long term relationship. And as long as it is beneficial for the athlete, then it should continue as long as they would like it to. And there may come a point when things aren't working, but I always encourage my athletes to bring those sorts of things to my attention because it is like any relationship, right? There are going to be things that can be improved in terms of communication and in terms of you know how things are, are structured. But as long as there's open lines of communication, then you can work through any of those, those potential issues and continue to grow and improve the relationship as you go along. So good to hear that our opinions have, have evolved over time on that, on that question. But do you have anything, any last thoughts that you wanted to, to touch on? What's new with you? What are you training for? What am I training for? So I'm currently training for a race called the Mesa's Hideout 100. It's my first 100 mile race. And it's a small race here in Colorado that uh, currently has, I believe, about 10 to 15 people signed up. So I might be spending a, a day running by myself in the in the woods and mountains of Colorado, but I'm excited for it. It's going to be an interesting physical and mental challenge. And so June 5th, I will be running 100 miles. How about yourself? Cool. That's coming up soon. What's your, how's your training been going? I know you ran, didn't you run a 50 mile race pretty recently? I did. I ran a 50 miler back in January and it went well. Training's been good currently healthy, which is the most important thing. So happy to have my health and be able to get out and, and train. So pretty happy with how things are going. And it is coming up quick. That's a little it's a little scary how fast it's coming up. But I know that I'm capable of running 100 miles. I know that I'm capable of going into some dark places and, and coming back out. So I'm excited to, to see what it involves. And being my first 100 miler, I, my only goal is to, to finish. So I'm not putting a ton of pressure on myself for any time goals or anything like that. So it's just about moving forward. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mythical 100 miler. Yes, sir. That's definitely going to be awesome for sure. Going to have to get you into the ultra world uh, one of these days. But uh, I know you've got a race coming up pretty quickly as well. How is your training going? Yeah, I'm running my first marathon since fall of 2018. Didn't expect to take almost three years to run another marathon, but COVID kind of threw a wrench in last year. So it's going it's going well. I'm definitely fit. I had a great long run last weekend. I ran 20 miles faster than I ever have before in what was essentially a, a steady, easy to moderate pace long run, you know, faster, but not hard, not race pace or anything. So that was cool. Um, pretty close to marathon pace, but it's been it's been so long since I've run a marathon, and and my speed has increased so much since I last did that I'm not gonna lie, I'm nervous. Uh, with a marathon, you never run the full race distance, and what I'm finding is that as I'm getting faster, the actual marathon race pace feels harder and harder and harder than it ever did before. So I'm uh, I know I'm fit, and I uh, know I'm gonna do well. I'm sure I'm in store for a big PR, but to be honest, I'm a little worried about the pace. Um, we'll we'll see. Uh, I have about a five weeks left. I'm actually this this Saturday doing my final tune-up race for the marathon, which will be a 10K. Uh, 10K is maybe my favorite race distance, so I'm really excited about that. And yeah, we'll see where I, where, I, where I fall in it. After that race, I'll have a month to mix up my training if I need to, so it's going well. <laughs> Cautiously advancing closer and closer to race day. Yeah. Well, good luck. I'm excited to 
see how it goes for you. And are you planning to put in for, for Boston? Yeah, uh, actually, as we're speaking, I believe registration opens up tomorrow for that, um, April April 20th. I'm hoping that my qualification time is still good enough. <laughs> I'm only a few minutes underneath the cutoff, and my upcoming marathon, I think, will probably be too late to update my qualifying time. So I hope to run Boston. It's been a dream of mine for years, and we shall see. But if I don't get in, I have some backup plans. Very good, Chris. Well, this was a great conversation. I know this is something that we are talking about, maybe making a regular thing, maybe every couple of months, maybe every six months, a couple of times a year, something like that of, of taking questions and just uh, giving our, our honest thoughts and feedback to any questions that people want to throw our way. So look forward to having these conversations again with you in the future. Yeah, thanks. It's fun. I love I love chatting with you because though we both run online run coaching businesses, we, we do have different opinions on some things and different experiences shape our views and the athletes we coach shape our views. So it's cool to, to get your take on these and see where we're the same and see where we might think differently. Absolutely. So yeah, thanks, thanks for chatting. Of course. Always good to chat with you. And I, I always uh, you know feel like I, I learn something every time we chat. So Good to do this with you and good luck with the rest of your training. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this one. This is something that Chris and I will certainly look to do again in the future. I really enjoyed this conversation and hope that you did too. If you liked this episode, please give it a five-star rating and share this with anyone who you think would benefit from hearing it. Also, check out my website at trainingwithtucker.com and feel free to reach out to me anytime at tuckergrosscoaching at gmail.com with any questions about the episode or my coaching services. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and I look forward to bringing you more information to help you become the best version of yourself. Yourself.